You know, everyone told me I had to watch The Sopranos. I never. And I I think I would have been okay if I hadn't. Not that I, I didn't hate it, but it it was fine, but it wasn't like this groundbreaking thing to me. I guess it would have been at the time. Wait a minute. Did you say, so, what'd you say about The Sopranos? What? <laughs> you out of your he mind, could, He could have gone without it. Do not say that. Do not go around and say that, please. The show is amazing. Dave, you've never watched The Sopranos? No, I don't. I don't watch anything that's got darkness in it unless there's like dwarves and dragons and Dude, shit. Dude, you. I mean, I, I'm jealous. Dark. I'm jealous. I deal with dark all the time. I'm jealous that you haven't watched it, man. Oh yeah. I would love. I mean, I was like when I hadn't watched The Wire. I was like. Yeah, I heard that's great too. Hey, I'll never watch either of those shows. Are you? Watch, I never watch one second. Are you watching? Uh, wait, you didn't watch The Wire either? No, I, I. I'll repeat my sentence. Anything that's dark has to have dwarves and dragons, or I'm not watching it. Oh, I, life is hard enough as it is. I deal with darkness all the time in real life. Yeah. Like bad things. I don't have to sit on my comfortable couch and, and go through the same bullshit. I want to laugh. Do you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Of I mean, course. It's, it's funny. Yeah, that's one of the funniest You're TV the shows You're the opposite of, of my time. mom, Dave, by the way. The total opposite. <laughs> Being that I'm a man. No, no. It's, I, it's, I'm, it's, I'm it's, it's very <laughs> hard to get my mom to watch comedy. You know, because she she oh, likes really? yeah she prefers the dark and twisted. Well, she must have a hell of a life regularly. <laughs> well, she was a teacher. Um, yeah, yeah, I right. like exactly. like I like both. I'm the I, same. I like I I I, I edge towards uh, the way my mom does. I'll do comedy once in a while. Of course, I love Seinfeld. So you watch Curb too, didn't you, Jade? Of course. Uh, I have a funny Masai story. Early, early in his in his career, we I forget if I got him. He was in Denver, you know, second or third year working. He used to call me at night a lot because he was uh, West Coast, or he'd be in Europe a little bit, and it'd be you know first thing in the morning, and they'd be traveling. And I had a rule: eleven, eleven thirty at night. Like I didn't touch my phone. I was watching Seinfeld reruns. This is back when it was just starting to be rerun, you know. And I did not touch my phone unless someone was bleeding from the head in my house. Uh, so he used to call and sometimes he'd forget what time it was where we were. And, uh, he would scream my voicemail. Like, I know it's 11 o'clock, but pick up the fucking phone. (laughs) (laughs) My phone will be on tomorrow. He's always yelling at me. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Back to Back Podcast. This is the Nerder She Wrote Show. I am uh, Dave DeFore, filling in for Tom Haberstroh, hopefully adequately. Um, co-piloting the ship, as usual, Coach David Thorpe. How are you doing today, David? Are you wearing a tank top? <laughs> Actually, yes, I am. Sorry to say, it's still 80s come degrees in, uh, in Florida. I worked out some this morning, so I apologize in advance, but that's why we're on audio. It's finally chilly here in Texas. I've been dying all summer. Um, calling in from sunny and beautiful. I actually checked the weather in Denver, Colorado today <laughs> from the Action Network. Uh, the man who was introduced to me as being exactly like his Twitter account, Matt Moore. <laughs> Jesus, that's depressing. That's just, what, a, what a depressing, horrible intro. I now regret every decision I've made. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now it was said. It was said in a good way, right? Like that—that that you are so good at getting conversations started 
on Twitter, but you are actually very good at it in real life as well. Do you remember the conversation we had in Vegas, the whole gun to your head playoff scenario conversation? I think I do. I think that was a, that was a hard one for me to, to figure out. And I spent days wrestling with it. Oh, perfect. What, well, what was um, that <laughs> we were trying to figure out who the locks were for the playoffs and this was during summer league. So teams were not oh, anywhere. Year? Yeah. So it was, hard. yeah, it was really early. And, and essentially this is, like every conversation was about the Lakers and um, we, we really had no answers. I mean, it was like, we, we had like three locks in the West, I think. Well, I mean, considering teams hadn't even finished their roster, it probably makes sense to hold off on that. Exactly. But it, <laughs> it did not stop us from having yeah. arguments like loud arguments about it. That's really good. Uh, so 11 games yesterday. Uh, we are, we are finally back in the swing of things. My eyes are a little red from, from watching all this basketball. Uh, I want to start in Milwaukee because Matt, I was actually just rereading the piece that you wrote. You were in Milwaukee. You got to see some practices. Uh, how did Giannis look yesterday compared to what you've seen so far in the preseason? As good as the line looks at 25, eight and eight, I actually think that he could have played a lot better. I mean, he was nine of 21 from the field and he missed a lot of shots that I think he's going to make as time goes on, like he was, you know, Oh, three from three point range, which not surprising. Like he's going to take more of those threes this year, but I don't necessarily know if he's going to make more of them, but he was missing stuff at the rim. He was getting, I thought was a pretty rough whistle inside. I thought the interior defense was really physical with him and he was missing shots. That I think he probably was going to get calls on more as the season goes on. Um, but overall, I mean, you look at the eight assists and, and that's indicative to me. Seven of those were in the first half In the second half, Charlotte really kind of switched up its coverage and it did give him some trouble. Um, so, so at 25, 18 and eight, I think that was a relatively bad game by what we're going to expect from Giannis this year. You're just seeing the benefits of how much more space he has with the kind of shooters and, and the way that Bud's spacing the floor. Um, they're getting up and down and he's going to have more opportunities in transition. It's going to be an absolutely monster year, but I don't know that Giannis himself was at the absolute best he can be yesterday. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that three ball that he's taking actually looks a lot better. The shot itself, much more smooth. And the pace, I actually think the pace worked against him. They looked a little gas, like in the yeah. middle of the third quarter. And you could tell because the number of threes that they were taking significantly dropped in the second half. Coach, uh, what, what did you see out of this team? I mean, you know, this this looks like a bud offense. Yeah, but, but, you know, I had uh, – I tried to watch uh, – Every game, and I did, I, I scrubbed every team but Phoenix, and I watched Phoenix today. Um, but I had, uh, in my office, I have a lot of TV set up where I could, sometimes it's cool to kind of compare and contrast uh, games and pace, uh, especially when they start about the same time. So you're really seeing starters versus starters on all, all, all my TVs. And some of the teams were, I thought, playing very isolation-based basketball because of the switching that's going on and of taking advantage of matchups. And I like the teams that, you know, kind of ran with a, with a purpose or a plan. And I thought Milwaukee was leaning more towards that. I mean, I mean you're not, you guys, Matt's not wrong about Giannis. Can't be too happy with his first game. I mean, he didn't have 40 or 35, which he's going to have a bunch of those games. And he had eight turnovers. And uh, that's kind of what you saw in a lot of different games, too, is teams just they're, – they're not, they're not comfortable yet with what they want to run. Um, a quick a quick mention, this is not necessarily from Milwaukee, but a common thread that I think we'll be talking about not just today, but in future uh, future interviews that we do together. Uh, as you see more teams being willing to pound the ball inside and then play from there, we're going to see not just a, a kind of a dearth of guys that really know what to do down there, 
but also uh, there's, a, there's not a whole lot of players that know how to feed the post. And uh, that's got that's going to be a skill that, that it, it's not that hard to get to get. It's going to take a while, and they're going but they're going to get it. They're going to get that before they get really good bucket getters that are efficient. Uh, and so teams like Milwaukee that has a guy that you're really screwed no matter what you do against him when when they want to post him, and he's a power player. There's no doubt he plays like a power player. Feeding him uh, into spots where he can just turn and score with a good angle right away or make a quick counter when teams over, overload one side to him. Uh, where where he If you just throw it down there, let him go to work, it's not always going to be the best thing, and, and teams are going to scramble their coverages and cause turnover problems for him. So getting a better way to pass to him inside I think will help expose what he, what he can do and, and make them real nightmares to guard. You know, to follow up on that point, there, there were a couple of possessions where he got, you know, I, I think he got Kemba in a post up and it scrambled the, the Hornets defense so much. He was able to, to make a nice pass to uh, DiVincenzo who was coming off of the screen from Henson. I, that sort of uh, inside out offense is, is, you know, it's a bit of a throwback now in the five out league, but I think that there's, there's a huge margin for success for them because of the fact that they really can now surround him with four shooters. Um, speaking of, uh, of shooting Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe was fantastic yesterday. Uh, and, and we're going to focus on the offensive end, but he looked like he was more active on the defensive end than I've seen since he was with the Clippers. Um, Matt, was this something that you got to see a little bit of in camp? They were talking about it. They were talking about how Bled looked like he was more engaged than I think he was last year. I think getting out of Phoenix and then getting reappointed with a new team um, and then obviously the coaching situation being as unstable as it was there played a big part of that. Like It was really striking being in Milwaukee how much everyone was trying not to say, wow, was Jason Kidd a problem? Like Everyone was trying really hard not to take shots at him, but it was just, they were like, well, you know, last year it was kind of rough because like, there was just a lot of that. Um, and talking to various people, they said, you know, blood's come into camp with a, with a, a lot more confidence and a little bit more comfort for him to be ready to go in. Like some of the bucks people were like, I think that he's going to have the biggest jump of anybody. They were the, the front office people were very high on what he was going to be capable of. Um, yeah, I thought Middleton last night in particular was awesome. Like, I just think Middleton's another guy that's going to benefit so much from the space provided. Um, his decision making was so quick. And when you've got the the attention of the defense was just constantly drawn, especially because they were pushing that pace. They were scrambling to try and get out to shooters. And when that happened, you had Giannis, you know, catching them in mid transition and attacking the rim. Uh, and then when they would kind of key up on Giannis, that's when Middleton was coming off the screens and, and getting opportunities uh, to find looks. And, and he was also just confident. Like, he, he walked into a Puget three, uh, like that was just ice cold blood. So did the same. That's one of the things that really kind of stood out is the, the space of the new system obviously helps them. That's a very basic level, but there's also a, a much heightened sense of confidence. And they all kind of talked about that, about how much more confident they all feel versus not really knowing what they were doing or not feeling confident in that system. Like that, that team just, just exuded a lot of confidence last night. And I think that helped them down the stretch where, you know, Charlotte came, I think last year they probably buckle when Charlotte makes that big comeback behind Kemba and they were able to hold it off in part, I think because they have a lot of confidence at this point. Well, you know, and one of the things from your piece that stood out to me was that Bud came in and everyone in the organization, not just the players on the team, not just the coaching staff, but everyone within the organization had a defined role yeah. within the, you know, the, the pathway to success. Uh, David, what did you think about the way that they were using the pieces around Giannis? Do you feel like they were maximizing or is this going to be 
something that we're going to see them kind of change as, as the season moves along? Oh, I'd be, be crazy for them not to adjust uh, as teams adjust to what they're, what they're doing. Um, for example, you know, they really, you really can't switch on that team. Lopez can hurt you inside Middleton. If he doesn't have a post game yet, should he's got length. I've always been a big fan. Giannis is, you know, completely unguardable and Bledsoe can blow by people on the perimeter. Brogdon, some of you can switch on to with almost anyone. You know, he's not an issue. Henson, you can put a guard on him. He's probably not going to score. Um, uh, except for maybe tip-ins. Snell, I think, is awful. Uh, I, I'm surprised they're kind of sticking with him at all. But um, there's a bigger point, though, guys, and uh, and Dave just kind of – both of you all kind of referenced it a little bit regarding Jason Kidd into, into a much better coach now. That's The best coaches do that. The best coaches – just give you a, a much better idea of what what their what the plan is. What's the, what's our purpose on this possession? What's what are we trying to get accomplished? And then exactly what do I do? You know, guys like Stan Van Gundy put tape on the floor. You should be here every time, and and then you got to move to here. Uh, I don't know what Bud does, but I know that he's just a much. He's not just a better communicator than King Kid. Just a lot more experience as a coach. I've always said Jason could maybe could one day be a good coach. It takes a long time to figure it out, just like it did for him as a player. Uh, he was an amazing player when he was 17 as a high school kid. But but for the NBA, he had to get a lot better as a shooter to be the kind of you know amazing impact player that he was. He's not that as a coach. There's a lot of gray area uh, when you talk to players. That is the death of them. The, having that gray area is such a problem because that's when you talk about confidence, guys. Confidence starts with commitment. It's hard to commit to something. You're not really sure what you're supposed to commit to. And the better coaches like Bud, uh, like Brad Stevens, even like Thibodeau, more so when he was Chicago than, than maybe with Minnesota for whatever reason, everyone just kind of knew what they're doing on every situation on both ends. Doesn't mean you'll do it well, but it helps to know what you're supposed to do. And that's where I think Milwaukee, no matter what they adjust to over the course of the season, he's such a significantly better coach than who they had last year that uh, they'll have that that sense of, okay, we know what we're doing every time out far, far better. On the other side of the ball from uh, Milwaukee, Charlotte. I mean, this is a team that, I don't know, they're, they're, they seem to alternate years in and out of the playoffs. Kemba Walker had 41 points last night, and and he was the only reason they were anywhere close to, yeah. to winning this game. Uh, Matt, is he going to be there all year? Like, can he keep this sort of effort up? I mean, they're a lottery team without him. And it's kind of it's kind of incredible because he doesn't have the physical advantages of a guy like LeBron or Giannis. What he's able to do almost alone is is pretty crazy. I mean, 15 of 29 is part of it, too. Right. Like he's sure like it, absurdly efficient. Seven to 13 from three. Uh, maybe the most one of the most deadly step backs in the league when he's got it going. Um you look at the starters, man, like just their production is just so pitiful. Like Batum, five points, Marvin, five points, Zeller, five points. Like they, They're getting nothing. Like they got a really good game from Malik Monk at 18 points. And Monk, I, I thought, looked really good, which I think is only going to put more pressure to kind of change up what their wing rotation looks like in trade. Uh, I don't – I can't say it's impossible to see it. From everything I've heard, they continue to kind of rebuff the idea of trading him just because – um, I think Jordan in part is really committed to not dealing his best player because I think Jordan recognizes how hard it is to get another guy at that level. Like just if you trade him, it's, you're not just automatically 
your next best player who is on that team is not going to be anywhere near that level, most likely. Uh, and going through a full rebuild, I think, would be really painful for that franchise considering their market and everything with it. So I think they're more likely to try and shop around the veteran pieces, which everyone's kind of been on, been banging that that drum all summer is they just they're stale and they need to change it up and they need to do something. Um, it's just crazy because since the start of the 2016, 17 season, this team is now one and 15 in games decided by three points or less. Like uh-huh. Their inability to win games that are within grasp at the end is simply just mystifying. And it was a tough situation last night. They climbed out of a, a really deep hole, you know, got momentum, got a lead. And then, you know, Giannis draws a foul and, and they were able to, to, to make enough plays to get the win at the end. But I, I think that maybe that's the biggest indicator that they need to do something. I think Charlotte will wind up switching out pieces at some point this year, just because if Monk is making the kind of strides that he showed a little bit of in preseason, this was a really good start to him. It's just one game, but it was a good start for him. Uh, I thought Bridges was really good in preseason. Uh, he played, you know, only 14 minutes, one point, but he's a guy I think is going to give you more than just box score production. They've got some promising young pieces there. So I want to know what they're going to do long-term. It makes more sense. I think to swap out the pieces around Kemba than to what would always, whenever you're dealing a player like that, be trading low on the dollar. But if he, but is he willing to come back? Isn't he a contract year now? He said he was adamant last year that he wants to be there. Like he he got they he was upset that, at the trade talk. But he was I mean I get that he was was saying that. I'm not saying he won't leave in free agency. That's always a possibility. But I think for him, I don't think he wants to be traded. And even if you're like, well, you got to do what's best for the franchise. Sometimes what's best for the franchise is taking care of your best player, even if down down the road it's going to hurt you because it sets a precedent for future guys to say like, look, we take care of our guys. Um, we don't put them in bad situations like that does. I think wind up hurting you in free agency discussions. Yeah, don't don't trade him to Sacramento or Memphis, right. but there's right. there's places you can trade him. You you can sit down with him. In fact, I'm going to argue right now they should be sitting down with his people and say, uh, where does he want to go? We want to make sure he can sign the best contract possible. Uh, we also want to make sure we get something for him that's fair because we have to start over. But what we're not going to do is get nothing for this very talented player who has a lot of market value. So we're going to trade him. We're not going to say anything publicly. We want to keep his value high, keep telling people you don't want to be traded. After the fact, admit that we have been talking to you behind the scenes to make sure that if we did trade you, it's going to be to a place that makes you happy. Yeah. So where where would you like to go? We're going to try to make that happen. Yeah, that's lo- what he wants. I would yeah, love to see him in Philly. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a number of places that he'd be great <laughs> yeah. at. Like, like, I mean, I, I think he'd be awesome. And like with the Lakers, like I think that'd be him and LeBron would be great. And I actually think you could play him and Lonzo together. Like there's a, there's a whole number of places. Like it's hard to find places where Kimball Walker doesn't fit. Cause he's so, no, but that's, but that's one of the better ones. I was seeing LA all the time because there, there, there's report now we hear, you know, Damian Lillard, LeBron really likes him. Well, who doesn't like Damian Lillard, but Damian's more of a playmaker score. Whereas Kem is really a scorer. Uh, he's he's got some pretty unique talents. His ability to come off the ball screen when they lock and trail and still get the shot off from deep, it's really hard to do. You have to be super quick with your release, and you can't really bring it too far behind your ear because the guy behind you who's locking and trailing behind you will get a piece of it. He's unbelievable at this. He's may, maybe as good as I've ever seen when you trail behind. Uh, but he wants to score, which is what he should be doing. So a guy like I think he fits in. I mean, Kyrie played great next to LeBron. Kyrie's more of a playmaker to some degree, not much more. I think he'd be amazing in L.A. And I, don't, I wouldn't worry about Lonzo Ball 
yes, he could play with Lonzo for sure because Lonzo probably can guard most shooting guards pretty well. But you don't not do a deal because of Lonzo Ball, in my opinion. Now that you have LeBron, for another t- if, unless you're going to look for a five-year window, which makes no sense. So that's one of a few places where he would be he'd be terrific. But, you know, San Antonio is, is wondering what they're going to do with the one. Uh, there's there's five or six teams that are really good if they have Kemba Walker and suddenly suddenly like very interesting. I mean, one of the uh, one of the benefits I think with Kemba is is he's he's a smaller guard and usually those guys just get eaten alive. But he is so physical on ball, like he busts his ass defensively, and that makes up for so much. Like I'd rather have Kemba than Dame defensively any day of the week. Like Kemba yeah, winds up absolutely. really committing really committing himself. And that that to me makes a huge swing when you talk about this trade value where you're going to be handing this guy a lot of money for you not to have to worry about. We have to cover for him defensively is such a big deal, in my opinion. Um, so did did any of you guys see DeAndre Ayton last night? Yeah, I watched on tape this morning. <sighs> this is everything that I've talked about when uh, they drafted him. Number one, if, if you're a GM and you've got the number one pick. It is so hard to pass up a guy with his physical tools. I, I don't care w- about the defense in college. You you trust that in an NBA coaching staff, they can take a guy that talented and, and make something out of him. But he put up 18 and 10. Uh, Devin Booker had a, a crazy efficient 35 points, uh, I think partially because of Aiden. And Phoenix actually looks like a, a real basketball team. Um, Matt, what did you see in in that in that game last night? he's just he's the physicality i think it's really under uh discussed in today's game because of how skill oriented we become because everybody is so drawn on the perimeter um and and for good reason like there that really is like where the game is at and i get that but aiden at this age is still just he's so physically not dominant but explosive and impactful like he's just able to really create mayhem with his size and his reach and able to, to his understanding of space offensively, I think is really good for him being able to find um, places to create offense. Um, that kind of stuff I think is just, is just hugely valuable. I thought that was a really good start for Phoenix. Everybody was commenting about how much better their sets looked. Um, just this was the thing with Phoenix under Earl Watson is they so often just looked like they didn't know what they were doing offensively. And now they look like it. The fact that Aiden, um, was able to, to drop a, like a short range jumper or two. Like, I think that that's huge for him to be able to show range. So he's not just this kind of, I'm only going to do lob dunks, like having a little bit of range is going to be really helpful for him. The one he hit over Powell, um, I thought was really good. There's just a lot of, I think, capacity for what he's going to be able to do. Uh, I know Nate Duggan was talking this morning about, about his defense, but I'm not worried about that because in year one, I just want to be able to make sure that he fits on the floor. His comfort level immediately, it seems really high. Uh, um, I was, I, it was an impressive win, obviously, because they look good. He's going to have ups and downs, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what he, happens when he plays a team uh, that's got maybe a more mobile uh, big athletes, although DJ, I think, was was kind of caught by the movement that they were using. That's part of it is if the offense is better, you're going to put this guy in a better position to succeed. And that's why I think hiring Kaskoskov was, was such a good move. I mean, they, you can also tell that the coaching staff has made a, a distinct effort to to practice uh, making faster decisions. And, and we saw that last night. And then you bring in a guy like Trevor Reza and and Ryan Anderson and coach, it goes to show that if you get professional basketball players around young, talented players, you're going to elevate their game. Yeah, I, I wrote about this in my book, actually. Uh, I had a 
man, maybe, I don't know, nine or 10 NBA guys in, in the gym once. And I, back then I used to let them play in the afternoons. I, I don't anymore, but I did then. This is maybe know, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, yeah, maybe nine, 10 years ago. And I had a really talented high school player, I thought, that uh, had signed with literally the single worst Division One team in, in college basketball back then, North Florida, brand new Division One team. And uh, he had, this kid had named Justin Cecil, had come from uh, a very small private high school in Lakeland, Florida, very small, a very athletic community, but very small uh, where he was at. And you put him on the court with my pros, and it looked like he was going to be a future NBA first-round pick that should have gone to ACC. And I just was – I mean, everything was a tip dunk. Everything was incredible hustle. He could shoot the three. He, he made easy plays. And then sometimes, in fact, most of the time, he would work out also with the college guys, of which I wasn't really much a part of them. They were good college players, um, but they weren't NBA players. And he sucked. He looked terrible. And it was a great like visual lesson for me that, like you just said, when you Dave, when you when you play with pros, that there's a pace to it. People think uh, that you know college kids aren't as athletic as the as the, the elite pros. Of course, they're not. Uh, the college game actually is more physical because the refs allow it to be so. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is the pros play not at a faster pace, at a smarter pace. They're not running around like chickens without heads, and because of that. And it's something I talk to my, to my son about and to young players all the time. They just take that extra beat. That, that and, and, you know, there's a rule in basketball. They say don't jump until you know what you're going to do with it. Well, the NBA guys laugh at that. They jump all the time. They just don't throw it all the way right away. They read what's going on. That's, you know, college players play, high school players play, pros read. Trevor and Ryan Anderson read the game. They're reading it for a long time. Uh, Devin Booker is, you know, getting to that point now where obviously starting to read the game. And so uh, I think I think Matt's point about uh, the new coach in Phoenix is dead on. He's terrific. And so you factor that in. Great coach with pros. I know what they're doing. And Aiton's very, very fortunate. I like how he looks. But I'm telling you, if you put him on a lot of different teams right now, he wouldn't look nearly as good. It's a, right. it's a great sign for Phoenix for sure. And by the way, uh, uh, they're an interesting team if you look forward a few years. They're, they're an interesting team. Because they've got some, you know, very talented young players. You know, and they're another team in this small ball world that that is sort of trying to bring back a bigger lineup. So they started Ryan Anderson and DeAndre Ayton, and so we're we're kind of in the midst of of a bit of a big man resurgence, kind of renaissance, if you will. Um, you've got Detroit playing bully ball. You've got what's happening in San Antonio, which you know I think they're just going to play two bigs forever. Uh, Matt, like, is this something, is this a trend or is this a blip? I think it's a trend. I think whenever I talk to execs about it and coaches, I heard the same thing, which is like, it's all about personnel. Like we haven't had a lot of really great bigs. When we have great bigs, we'll use the bigs more. I think those bigs will continue to space out the floor more because it is more efficient. And it's uh, a great way to create that spacing, which allows everybody more room to get to the rim and to create better shots. Uh, but I think, you know, you're going to make the most out of what you can do. Like right now, I mean, last night is also a good example of this. If you went back and watched a lot of what Aiden did was attacking mismatches off of switches. So they'd run an action and he'd have a smaller guy on him. And to his credit, you know, a lot of guys will just, they'll, they'll kind of check out because they're like, Oh, you know, the set's supposed to go somewhere else. So the action's over there. And instead Aiden was like, I, there's a mouse in the house. Like I have a small dude on me, get me the ball. 
And the Suns, I thought, did a good job of finding him in that spot. Uh, and they looked for him in those situations, and that's how he was able uh, to punish those dudes. I think that you're going to see the same thing. And, and that's kind of the difference with Minnesota, is Minnesota almost never finds Towns. They don't create enough uh, enough situations where Towns has a mismatch, and, they, and when they do, they don't find him the ball in those situations consistently. You have to be aware of the personnel and how that play is evolving. And if you've got an opportunity where you can just punish a dude – let the bigs punish them. And, and too often, bigs will let them off the hook. And, and you know, I think part of that, the officiating tends to give the, the little guy way too much leeway. We've seen this for years where, you know, small dudes can just get away with whatever. Like Curry can basically hit you with a mallet and get away with it if, you, if he's matched up on a big in the post. Um, but if you just continue to, to pound that mismatch, you're going to wind up winning and it's going to force the defense to react. So I think we're going to see as the personnel gets better and you have more confidence, you know, Houston uses Capella a ton. They just don't use him in the same way that you would traditionally. I think we're going to see a resurgence of big men as the talent gets better. That, I think, has been really the big difference. Well, I mean, Detroit last night was was fascinating to me. First, you had, you had Drummond. I mean, he took a really bad first shot that long, too. Um, but they were running plays to get him open threes. But it, it seemed like the bulk of their their efforts were focused on the two man game between Blake and Drummond down low. And and you'd have Blake get a post up Drummond in the dunker spot and, and hope that the double would come. Coach, what did you see last night? Do you think that's going to be a workable thing for them going forward? Yeah, I mean, they, you said it. I, I was uh, tweeting this a little bit. They, they were really playing bully ball. Detroit was. Uh, and I just looked it up. They they led the, the after one game. Uh, they're number one in terms of shots attempted uh, in short and mid range. You could watch the game and see it. It was like uh, Brooklyn, by the way, did, did a similar thing more creatively. A lot on the attack, uh, cuts and drives. Uh, Detroit did Blake Griffin beat you up? Andre Drummond beat you up? Post to post passing with those two. They did not finish very well at all. But they hammered you down there. And I don't know if they have much of a choice. I don't like – I just don't like how they have put together their team. I think they're I – th- I think they'd be smarter doing a little more running and then getting to half court if they need to because they should dominate the glass in many games with – I mean, Drummond alone, I think, had 20 rebounds, although he had nine offensive rebounds. Um, between he and Blake, they should, they should dominate the glass and fly. And if they can't get a dunk or wide open three, then play bully ball. Uh, uh, they just got to get better guys in terms of shooting uh, Reggie Jackson, maybe, maybe a good shooter this year, but it's not something you always expect, but this, yeah, Matt's right. It's, it's not a blip. We, we've been saying this now for a couple of years when, when we started seeing, I first started seeing switching. I mean, this is how long it's been. It was Spurs versus heat finals. The years, uh, San Antonio wiped them out. Yeah. Everyone switched everything in that series. And, um, and it's been so it's been coming. It, it, things don't happen that fast. And it's, it, so it's been four years. But um, that's where we, we where we are. And so now we've got, as Matt was saying, it's not just it's not just talent. It's also a recognition of how best to attack what defenses are doing. And it's the versatility of players. Uh, I've long since said that Andrew Wiggins should be a post player. He, he posted at I watched him play in high school. He posted. Well, Paul Pierce did too, by the way, when he was a young player that I don't think they took advantage of enough early in his career, but ultimately they did. Wiggins is good in the post. Uh, so you get wings that can do that down there where they face up an attack from 12, 14 feet, or they just beat you down. You got to make some choices as a defense. Do I send more resources there and expose myself in the perimeter? Do I let it play one-on-one 
which, you know, here's the key is not only are you giving up potentially decently percentage shots inside if the guy is good at getting buckets, but your foul is going to go up too. The, yeah. the more the ball is in the paint, the more whistle is going to blow against you. So uh, I think that Detroit, I think that, I think that even though Stan Gunny might be a better tactical coach than, than Dwayne Casey, uh, I think Dwayne's done a great job in building culture where he's been, uh, both in, that, in Toronto and then we'll see Detroit, I thought, last night. They had a terrible start. I watched most of that game. They had a terrible start. They took control of the game, lost it a little bit, and still held on to, to I think, a very, very well-coached Brooklyn team. Yeah, if Detroit awesome. can get a decent start, they, they start believing themselves a little bit. They're, they just need to make a move. And by the way, Kemba would be unbelievable. I there. was thinking the exact same Jeez. thing. Terry that's Rozier, they need. just someone that's a threat in the perimeter that can also attack. And if you want to help, you've got the drum and lob. Uh, Dr- Drummond to me, I think is going to have a, just a monster season monster. Uh, like he's going to lead the league in 2020 games. He's got one. He's going to have a bunch. He, he, his effort was so impressive last night. All the rebounds didn't come from just jumping over people. He also got rebounds just by outworking and running and racing. Yeah. That's uh, always the thing with him. That's always the thing with him though. Is like, and that's what drives me crazy about Drummond is every time I started to kind of buy stock in him, he'll go through that midseason lull. And it shocked me the first time it happened because he had that really great uh, rookie year. And it was like yeah. – because I, I was kind of low on him coming out of, the, out of the draft because I was like, I hear he's got real issues with engagement. I don't know if he's really going to plug in. He looked awesome. But then like he had a great first year. And then it, I, he, they were in Denver one time, and he actually just got benched entirely for the, for the entire second half just because he was dogging it that bad. And then it happened again like the year after. And like everybody has times when the effort gets low – uh, throughout the 82 games, I get it. It's altitude. You're on a, sometimes you're on back to back in Denver. That's a tough spot. But when I started checking in with people that are close to Detroit, it was like, no, no, like this is an ongoing thing. Like Andre just does not go out throughout the season and he, he will get off to these good starts for him. It's like, he's, he's gotta be committed every single night to not every night. <laughs> I'm not even asking every night, most nights he's got to be locked in and really pushing. My problem is I, I bought a lot of piston stock this summer because they the numbers said they should have been better better last year. They were really good when Jackson was on the floor um, last year statistically. Even yeah. though I've never been a Reggie Jackson guy, like I just have never really thought much of him uh, as your primary playmaker. But like he's just one of the things where you look at the on offs and it was just apparent having a point guard who could you know dribble and chew gum at the same time was a big deal for them. Um, but last night I, I kind of walked away being more impressed with the Nets who. You know, they get the loss, but it was pretty apparent. Like Joe Harris goes one of seven from three. Uh, Russell has another rough night shooting, which that's going to be a concern. But I thought I was really impressed with Jared Allen. I thought Jared Allen looked he was. great. Uh, just you mentioned the different ways they got them involved, their bigs using him as a cutter. And he was just the constant movement with Allen, getting him moving and then reversing and, and, and switching up where he was attacking from. I thought was really impactful. So like, it's great that they got the production that they did from from Blake and Drummond, but the efficiency wasn't wasn't great. I I, I would just say like for it was an opportunity at home in your home opener versus a Nets team that's well coached but doesn't have the talent you do to come out and kind of really make a statement. And I think that the fact that it was that the Nets got off to the good start and then they had to basically hold on at the end makes me a little cautious for how this is going to start in the early going for Detroit. Matt, stay away from my Jared Allen stock. <laughs> that's that's my guy. I love his effort and his length. Uh, Coach, you brought up switching and 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 how we're probably going to see teams start to get smarter about it. Houston has built 
almost their entire offense around the idea that defenses are going to switch and they're going to get the mismatch with Chris Paul or with James Harden. I don't know if you guys caught this, but last night the Pelicans were leaving the screener when Chris Paul or James Harden were the ball handler and essentially had the big drop back and brought the guard through to kind of cut off the pass, but they were totally fine. Letting, letting PJ Tucker take those shots. Uh, coach, is this, is, is this going to cause problems for them throughout the season? You think they're going to figure this out? I, like, I don't know how they can switch it up with the personnel they have. I think their biggest problem is going to be on defense anyway. So yes, I think that, that they'll be able to figure out how to score efficiently. Uh, and they should, with Eric Gordon um, and Capella at the rim, you know, that that's four high level offensive players uh, missing. You know, it's not just Mike D'Antoni really doesn't care about defense. I'm sorry. He, he, I've coached enough players who play for him. He really doesn't care. His staff has to care. And uh, I'm not convinced that that staff as of, as of last night, looks like they've been stressing defense and it's going to be a, it's going to be a problem for them. They, Daryl knew what he was doing. He knew he had to get it to his, his defense to a top 10 level last year. And he did, uh, Daryl Morey. And, uh, they are, they do not project uh, in terms of personnel and in terms of staff to get there. And I think that's going to be their bigger problem. I, I do not favor them as the two seed last year. I, I mean, all year long, I said, not just on our podcast year, but everywhere I, I was doing stuff, I thought that they were 50, 50 to beat the warriors. That's basically what I said. Maybe not quite 50, 50, Always, but almost always, I felt like it was 50-50 coin flip with the Warriors, especially when the Warriors could have home court advantage. And obviously, you know, the Warriors beat them in seven, uh, probably because of CP's injury. But I do not feel that way now. I think there's at least one team in the West that will be uh, better than them in Utah. And, uh, I mean, if I'm Houston, I'm not relaxed after what I saw last night. They got drilled by a team with just a couple of good players. Matt. Well, one amazing player, but the rest are just good players. Well, and, and that, that's what I was going to get to. So their Houston's defense, um, couldn't switch because Anthony Davis is too, he's too big and too good. Uh, Capella couldn't really guard him in the post when, when they got the switch on Ennis. I mean, he was basically eating, um, yeah. Matt, the Pelicans were one of the teams you were adamant about being a lock for a top five seed. How, how do you feel after one game? Well, they're clearly going to the title. They're gonna they're gonna sweep the Warriors, and then, <laughs> you know, it's the start of a run. No, um, honestly, last night, like when I went back and watched this morning, I think so much of what happened last night um, was what Coach talked about. With I was worried about the exact same thing. I was like, Mike's not going to stress defense. He's going to say, "Oh, the defense will take care of itself." We were top ten last year; it'll be fine. Like defense is like a house you got to maintain. Like you got to make sure that the gutters are cleaned. You got to make sure that you blow the sprinklers out. You got to make sure that your that your plumbing and your electrical is up to date, or you're going to have problems long term. It's going to cost you. And they didn't do any maintenance on that end this summer. They let stuff slide in the hopes of making it shinier. Like they put in that new sunroom, and you don't need a sunroom. What are you doing? You live in Colorado. Like it's just not something that they needed to do with where they approached it from. And we saw, I think a lot of that, but it was also, I think Houston was dead. Like they for them offensively, they were just tired. Like they were front rimming so much new Orleans though. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I've waffled a little bit back on fourth on since I talked to you about where they were going to be. There's something that was just like, are they really going to be this good? And I mean, obviously last night they looked like it. So much of that was Miritich was awesome. I got to see Miritich play, not like this, 
but to a like 80% of what he did last night, I got to see that for a whole season because he'll have these stretches where he plays great for a month and then he vanishes and his shot goes away and he's just kind of a dude. I will say his defensive effort in the playoffs and then carrying that through, this was the best defensive regular season performance I've seen out of Miritich where he was locked in, he was engaged and he has such a real comfort with his role and what he needed to do. It was like, he knew exactly where he needed to be. All those guys did. And I think that that was really impressive. Um, they, one thing that people kind of wondered is like, all right, well, they got Davis, but who's going to get him the ball? And I was really confused by that because I was like, look, Drew Holiday has always been a really good playmaker. Um, he's evolved into more of a scorer as time has gone on because of his efficiency. But Drew can play like game manager, pure point, if he needs to. Uh, I thought Julius Randle had a, real, had a couple of really good finds to get Davis in transition and either led to a bucket or another or a secondary assist. They he's have, really good, guys. Yeah, yeah, he's, they have – that's yeah, a he's steal. really good. They just need they, they don't have any wing depth in my opinion at all. Uh, Ian Clark didn't even play, and although I don't think he's probably that good anyway. Uh, Darius Miller is a question mark to me. Solomon Hill, I think, is just atrocious. I'm glad he didn't start. Um, they they need to me. They add some athletic wings, guys that can fly uh, because they they can lead the league in pace. And, uh, and if they do that, it's one more shoots it okay. Julius Randle. Uh, and Meritish are consistent. They're then I they have the best player well, in the league that isn't LeBron or Durant probably. And uh, and then I think that I think Matt's right. I think they could be a I think they could have home court advantage in the first round. I think that's one of the reasons that 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 uh, Wesley Johnson trade is actually going to wind up really good for them. Oh, like I, I think like you think he's I, good. I think that for being just a spot up dude, like all if you just yeah. play him as just three and D, I'm fine with him. Uh, not me. I think he sucks. I think he fucking sucks. I think he likes to jog everywhere. I think he has no urgency in how he plays. I think he's always kind of sucked. He was a huge disappointment coming out of Syracuse. In 20 minutes a game, he averaged like less than six points a game. Maybe if he shoots well, that's fine. But to me, with that kind of speed that they can play with, they've got to get they've got to get people that play that way. They have the least athletic wings in the league, in my opinion. Well, maybe Memphis does. And they just luckily played a team that was just didn't give a fuck last night. I mean, Houston just didn't care. They yeah. really didn't. And, they're uh, and and they're not so athletic, by the way, in the wings either. So I think when you see the more athletic teams, you're going to see the Pelicans get exposed unless they make some changes. And if Wesley Johnson changes his spots, great. But I've seen enough to think that he's not the answer. Call me, the, call me uh, a one, prisoner of the moment, but I think uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. would be pretty great in New Orleans. I think yeah, he but, but, but are the really Knicks were there? Like I was thinking, even the Knicks. When when you look at if you're talking about the Knicks, which I mean, I mean, yeah, they beat a bad team, but they they played super fast. When we talk about Kemba, that was another team where I thought if you're New York and you got Porzingis, uh, I, Kevin Knox is from here. I've seen him play since he was you know a much younger guy and a huge fan of his. Really a yeah, terrific good. kid, terrific player. Um, if uh, if they think they're going to get Durant. It doesn't hurt them to say, well, we just, you know, we just traded for Kemba and we're, and we're going to keep him. Then all of a sudden they're legit right away in the East. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'm going to wrap this up. Matt, do you have any final thoughts on opening day? 
Uh, boy, the Hawks might be in trouble if that they're, they're going to have that kind of performance versus what I think is a shitty Knicks team. Um, that that they might be way worse than even we projected, and and everyone had them low. Uh, I'm not worried about the Heat. They had a bunch of injuries last night, and it's a home opener game. I'm not as worried about that team. I think they'll be fine. Um, the Wolves, good God, how does how does Carl Anthony Towns have six points? How does that happen? Um, and then you know who actually I was a little impressed with the Kings last night. I was, a little, hey, I was impressed with the fight. I, that, Buddy Heald looked more in control and savvier than I've ever seen him. Uh, WCS had a good game. Like the Kings looked close to competent versus a really good Jazz team. That was a good start for them. Coach, yeah. Final thoughts? I want to just pick up on what he said. So we, we've talked about big men resurgence, and I think all year long we're going to see a, a more paint scoring. At, you know, people a little zig away from nothing but shooting threes when the paint's so wide open, as long as you have guys that can make it. The Pacers showed last year you can have a good offense not taking threes. But Willie Cauley-Stein's the, uh, I don't, picking MIPs and all of that. But he he's enormously talented, I think. And, and when I talk to players who work out in L.A. in the summer, they all come back and tell me the same thing. This guy's fantastic. And he's just stuck on a bad franchise. Well, last night, that bad franchise looked pretty good. It's just one game, but I thought he looked really good. He, he's he's DeAndre Jordan, a little bit quicker with a better finish, better shooting ability. Uh, yeah, he's got all-star potential, and if that's the case, and you factor in a guy like Fox that merges with him so beautifully uh, because they both can play so fast, uh, Buddy can be a shooter, a little bit of a scorer. You know, they've got some pieces. Uh, they've got a long way to go as a franchise, but I think Willie Collins is going to be a name we're going to be talking about all year. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, I know how busy you are. Everybody go check his stuff out at the Action Network. He's he's really doing great work. And uh, you probably already follow him on Twitter, but if not, at HP Basketball. Uh, Coach Thorpe, thank you. Uh, and I think we'll catch you guys next week. Mm-hmm.